to yours. Merry Christmas.
Luke 2, 7, King James Version. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Welcome everybody this morning. We appreciate our children this morning. Uh, appreciate everybody being here. And we's uh, thanking as they were singing. Uh, you know, this time of year we we get caught up with the natural side of Christmas and Christmas songs and uh, buying presents and all that stuff. But I'm glad I go to a church that teaches the true meaning of Christmas, uh, what it's about, and how uh, our Savior was born. And he came to this earth to die for me. 
that I could have salvation. I, uh, I'm glad that uh, I've been taught that, and I know that, and I can feel that. And uh, I pray if you don't know that and can feel it, you'll get that today before you leave. But we appreciate being here. Hope we have a great service today. And I'm asked uh, Dad to dismiss his Sunday school. Well, it's good to be here. Appreciate everybody for coming out today. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 1. That's where our lesson's at today. Told Brother Carl, I think from a preparation standpoint, this has been the most difficult lesson that I've ever taught to try to prepare for. And so, and maybe the teaching will be easy, and maybe there won't be any teaching at all. I don't know. I leave that up to the Lord. I hope that uh, he'll come through. So, but first 17 verses of Matthew are the genealogy, as spelled out by Matthew, of Jesus Christ. Going back from Jesus, back to Abraham. So before we get started on that, I want to talk a little bit about who Matthew is and who his audience is and uh, what, uh, why this was important for him to write because there's some very, very clear points that I think are, are pretty interesting to me. So out of the original 12 apostles, now I'm not counting Paul because he wasn't in that original 12. Out of the original 12, this is just appearance and, and studying that I've done. Matthew was the most educated one out of those original 12 from a standpoint of uh, advanced education. 
I'm not talking about the school of hard knocks. I'm talking about he had actually been book learned. He had an education. He was a tax collector by trade. He had to be intelligent. He had to know the genealogies because that was some of the way they were taxed. He had to know what the tax code was. All right. And so he was an intelligent fellow. Some other things about Matthew that I think are correct, because he was a Jew and he went to work for the Roman Empire as a tax collector, he was probably not very well liked amongst the other Jews and the people that he grew up with. All right. Uh, if you watched uh, any of the episodes of The Chosen, which is a, a TV series that, that kind of goes through some of this, I think they do a great job in depicting how he was probably disliked by even maybe the other apostles and certainly the people that he collected taxes from. Now, that's all just theory, all right? But I think it's probably accurate. I think there's, there's some evidence that that's, there's a good chance that was true. So here's Matthew. Highly educated guy. He's a tax collector. Christ comes through and says, follow me. And the account is that he got up and followed him. Just left his job and, and followed Christ. Uh, which would have been a tough thing to do, I think. But he did that. And so, here we are. The book of Matthew was written about 85 or 90 A.D. Now keep in mind... A.D. starts at the time that Christ was born. So when he was uh, 33 and a half, when he was crucified, that's 33 A.D. So this would have been about 50 to 55 years later that Matthew wrote this book. It was not the first of the Gospels to be written. Um, actually, the book of Mark historically was the first uh, Gospel to be written. The audience for the book of Matthew was the Jews. And primarily the born-again Jews, but it was for all of the Jews that were interested in reading about Jesus and, and looking at the history of Jesus. All four of the Gospels have a different audience. And that's something that we don't talk about a whole lot. But I do think it's something important for us to understand because each of these writers were writing to a different group of people, and while they were trying to expound Jesus, they were trying to do that to a different group of people that had different understanding and different knowledge. The Jews who Matthew was writing to were people that were educated in the history of Israel. All right, They had scrolls. They went to the temple. They knew about the Old Testament as we have it now, they knew about a lot of that. All right? And so these were people that knew about the promises God had made to Abraham and to David. They had read them or heard them read to them in the temple. They had heard them discussed. Some of them had been very educated on these things. So Matthew's audience were these Jews. All right? So let's back up for just a minute and let's approach it from this perspective. You guys all know I'm a lawyer. That's my trade. I went to school and, and have been a lawyer for 30 years. And so, and I've had some trials. I don't do a lot of trial work, but I've had some trials where that I've gone in and I've represented somebody. And a lot of times we don't agree 
on all the facts, or we have some facts we agree on, but not others. So I'm going to give you a little example. It'll probably be silly, but uh, that's okay. I think it'll make a good point. If I was representing someone who had been injured by a hit-and-run driver, and I had a couple of witnesses that told me what the driver looked like and what kind of car they were driving, and then maybe another witness that told me later on where they found this car parked in this person's driveway and, and could describe the damage it had on it. Well, those are things I would want to get out very early in the trial, all right? Well, this witness says the person was about six foot tall and had dark hair and they had a scar on their face, okay? Well, that's real good. I want to get that evidence on. The next witness says, yeah, I saw it. It was a red van and here's the license plate number and that red van went right through the red light and hit your client and then drove off. But it had some blue paint on the side from where they had collided with your client's car. Well, I want to get all that on the record. And then I want to get the witness to come in and say, well, yeah, I, that guy lives next door to me and he drives a red van. When it came home this day, it had blue paint on it. And he got out and ran in the house. And then the police showed up a few minutes later. Those are all things I want to get out because I'm establishing that this person that owns the red van with the scar on their face and black hair is the one who I'm looking for. You guys got all that? All right. So let's go back in Genesis, 17th chapter, verse 6. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art strangers, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is God talking to Abraham. He's establishing the covenant with Abraham. He's telling him, out of thy seed are going to be the kings, and we're going to have this covenant, and I'm going to bless Israel through you and through your generations. Well, the people that Matthew is writing to have been reading this for 2,000 years because Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Christ. And they've been reading this, and they've been looking for that Messiah to come for that long. So when Matthew starts writing about this fellow that he knows is the Messiah, and he's writing to people that have been reading this for 2,000 years, he does just like I would do if I was having a trial. I go back and I say, well, here's what God told Abraham. You guys all know this. Let me show you how Jesus is connected to Abraham through our genealogies that our Jewish people have kept. So that's where we start. So the first thing he says is, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's starting right off and saying, this Jesus, he's the guy we've been looking for. All those scriptures you've been reading, here's the guy. So it was important 
for the people, the Jews, to have this spelled out for them. So the ones that did believe, they already believed, and it was reaffirming. And the ones that were on the cusp of believing but were still struggling with it, maybe this letter helped them. And the ones that didn't believe, maybe it convicted them. I suppose it probably did. The next place I want to go is Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 8, probably read about seven verses here. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheeps, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee wheresoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish thy kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I, look, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. So here's God talking to David saying some of the same things. So he tells Abraham, out of thy seed and out of thy people, I'm going to bless Israel. So you go down, this is somewhere around 800 to 1,000 years later that David lived. Okay. Um, and it's certainly, and I think as Matthew talks down at the end of this lesson, it's certainly 14 generations. But the generations stretched out longer from Abraham to David simply because the people lived longer and sometimes they had children you know Abraham had Isaac when he was a hundred or so years old so but this is about 800 or a thousand years after he talks to Abraham he talks to David and again he's talking about Israel but he's talking to David as the leader and he's saying that Messiah that I told Abraham about, it, it is coming through Abraham, but I've brought down now, and you're a descendant of Abraham, it's coming out of you as well. So Matthew knows all this, and the people, the Jews, they know all this. And so when he starts writing his letter, he says, I'm writing about this one that came out of Abraham, and I'm writing about this one that came out of David. Now let me connect the dots, dot to dot to dot to dot, all right? I'm not going to read all this. I thought about it, but I can't even pronounce some of the names, all right? 
I do want to jump down and make a few points about a few of the highlights of this. And then if God will let me toward the end of our time, if we've got time, I want to talk and compare a little bit this genealogy that Matthew wrote to the genealogy that Luke wrote and the different audiences and the differences in the genealogies because it's pretty special when you look at them both. So we're here in Matthew, first chapter. He starts with son of David, son of Abraham. Matthew uses the term son of David at least 14 times in his letter describing Christ. All right. These people are very connected to the history of David, who was the first great king that brought all of Israel together and, and you know, really put Israel uh, where the, you know, they wanted it to be. And so they're very connected with David, and they know his greatness, and they know his shortcomings, uh, and they know that God has promised that this is going to happen through David. So Matthew connects back to David and then makes that connection on back to Abraham. It's pretty interesting when you look at Matthew's genealogy that as far back as he goes is Abraham. Because Abraham wasn't the first person born. But he knows that the Jewish people believe and, and trust in this covenant that God made with Abraham. And so it's for his audience, he doesn't have to go beyond Abraham back to Terah and Terah's father and on back all the way back to Adam and then to God because he knows that they have confidence in this covenant that God made with Abraham. Um, so if we look down, there's a few people I want to point out here. And when you read through this, if you just look through it from a natural standpoint, and I've heard this preached before, you know, if I was writing the history of the book of David, I might have left some of the things, you know, him and Uriah and that exchange and Bathsheba, I might have left that out. And God loved David. I mean, he blessed him and he gave him these great promises, but he wrote that in there. Why do you think he put all that in there about David? This genealogy down in verse 6 says, Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Everybody knows about it. No reason for Matthew to hide it. It's already been written in the scrolls back in the Chronicles and Samuel. All right? So why do you think God put it in there? Why was it important? I think he wants us to understand that none of us are perfect. And while David was certainly a type and a shadow of Christ who was going to come and that Christ was going to come through David's lineage, David wasn't perfect. He was a man of flesh just like I am, just like you are. We all make mistakes. Right? And if all we ever saw of our heroes out of the Bible were the good things that they did. Once I made a mistake, why would I ever 
try again. Because I would think, well, I'm not like those fellows. None of them made any mistakes. They didn't have any problems. They must have been a lot better person than I am. I'm just going to quit. Well, David didn't, and God wanted us to see what David went through and that God still loved him and still blessed him even through his, you know, his errors. Sure. Well, if you look at this, and I think there are seven covenants that God makes with man through time from, you know, from all the way back in the garden with Adam, all the way down to Christ and, and, and the grace covenant with man. And that's a, that's a lesson for another day that somebody like Jay or Carl can cover, not me. But you look at two of those covenants. One was made with Abraham who took his handmaid and had a child with her, which he wasn't supposed to do, and David, who had Uriah killed and took his wife and had Solomon with Bathsheba. And so it's pretty remarkable to me that God makes those two covenants with people that had messed up so bad. I think that I've wondered the same thing. Um, I really wonder if, you know, 60, 90 days after Peter denied Christ, if, if Peter showed up at a lot of our churches, would, our, would we give him the pulpit and let him preach like he did on the day of Pentecost? Some might, you know, but I think a lot would say, no, he messed up. That's a fellow that, publicly denied the Lord just a couple months ago. We're not going to give him no, no pulpit. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I think I think some would, but I think a lot wouldn't. It's also interesting to me, um, if you go back in that, that, back in Genesis and you read that chapter there about the covenant with Abraham, there are a lot of requirements. And then uh, even later, uh, when uh, the law is delivered through Moses, there are requirements that uh, that the Israelites have to live by and things they have to do. Out of this genealogy, there are three women who are mentioned in addition to Mary. Now, Mary uh, is one of the four women mentioned here, but there are three women who are mentioned. Rahab, you know, who was a harlot and was was not a naturally born Israelite. Ruth, who was from the land of Moab, not a naturally born Israelite. And Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah the, not the Israelite, Uriah the Hittite. So I assume, I don't know this, maybe there's some place you can prove it, I assume Bathsheba was a Hittite. Maybe, maybe she wasn't, but I think she was. Uh, she was certainly married to a Hittite. So three of the women out of the four in this genealogy are Gentiles. 
they're not naturally born Israelites. Now, I think, you know, probably all three of them converted, but all three of them weren't born uh, Israelites. So that's pretty interesting. And, you know, a couple of them, just like the men in this genealogy, have got, you know, some places they'd probably rather not have listed in the in the history. So uh, pretty interesting uh, group of folks. I want to jump down to verse 16. Verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, if you go on down, verse 18, which I'm not going to read, but you can read it later if you want to, Matthew very clearly states that, that Christ was born to Mary before she had been with Joseph and states that Joseph is not the father of Jesus. All right. So he makes that clear. He's not trying to be confusing. I mean, just, you know, just two verses down, he states that very plainly. But he does this genealogy pursuant to the law and the customs that the Israelites kept genealogies at the time. He went, now he does mention some of the women, but he went father to, to son, father to son, father to son, right down to Joseph. So we've got the natural lineage, okay, the natural lineage of father to son from Abraham through David right down through Jesus, and he takes it through Joseph. Right? which is the way that it should have been done according to the Jewish custom. Now, he makes it clear to them all that Joseph wasn't the, the natural father. But even if it was an adoptive father, and in that time, if a husband died, his brother would marry his wife, that was the custom, and he would be listed as the father of those children. All right. So even if it was an adoptive father, that was the way that it would have been done. So... We've got the lineage from Abraham to David, down through Joseph, coming through Solomon, okay, out of David, coming through Solomon, down to Christ. So now let's go to Luke, third chapter of Luke. Okay, in the third chapter of Luke, let's pick it up at, at verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being the son of Joseph, which was the son of, they, they have it spelled Heli with an H, but we would pronounce it Eli with just an E, which was the son of Matit, etc etc who is Eli because that's not the same person that Matthew indicated was the father of Joseph when Matthew spelled it out back in the 16th chapter he said Jacob begat Joseph so who's Joseph's father Joseph's father is Jacob so that leaves a question for us out of the book of Luke who is Eli? 
exactly right on. Those are the two options that there are, and there's two schools of thought. And if you couldn't hear Brent, one was that it was an adoptive father, that Jacob maybe actually was his father and Eli was an adoptive father. Could be, you could switch those two options also. That's one option. The other option, which is the one that I think is correct, I think it is the lineage of Mary. I think Eli is Mary's father. Now, that's just my opinion. There are two schools of thought, and there are probably a couple of minor schools of thought that even have other uh, options there. Okay, But here's why I think it's that way. I think it's Mary's lineage, and I think Eli is probably Mary's father, uh, is because if you read back, and I did, and I looked at the commentaries and tried to compare them, the two lineages from Jesus back to David are almost completely different. This lineage, when you get back to David, goes through David's son, Nathan, not David's son, Solomon. David had multiple children. You follow the line of Solomon, like Matthew did, it takes you to Joseph. If you follow the lineage of Nathan, as Luke has done here, I believe it brings you to Mary. And so I believe that you got the natural side, which is through Joseph, according to the Jewish tradition, and you've got the supernatural side saying that Christ was born of a virgin through his mother Mary, who had never been with a man. And so you can take both of their lineages back to David, and it works on the natural side because Christ was fully a man, and it works on the God side because Christ was fully God. It works either way that you go, and it goes back to David. And then, of course, once you get back to David, then the lineage from there back to Abraham is the same. So that's my thought on it. Brent's exactly right. There are two schools of thought, and and you can have the other one, and, and we won't disagree. I understand the other idea, but that just makes such a perfect picture that it goes back and covers both of his, quote-unquote, parents, Mary and Joseph, evenly. All right. Uh, so I think it's a beautiful picture when you do it that way. Does anybody have any comments or any questions about that? So, right, and, and I think some of those, on, even when you're looking at it on Matthew's side, it's pretty clear to me that he was not trying to establish every father and son, father and son. I think on some of those, there was a generation or two skipped going back to the primary person mentioned scripturally or in the, in the genealogies. Um, and again, I think that was pursuant to the tradition of the Jewish way of keeping the genealogies is why it was done that way. Um, when I first started this, uh, I spent the first part of the week really struggling with 
14, 14, 14, which is 42 generations. Because he says, Matthew says, that there were 14 generations from Abraham to David. There were 14 generations from David to carried away in Babylonian captivity. And there were 14 generations from Babylonian captivity to Christ. So I thought, okay, there has to be something really significant in those 42. And there probably is, but I don't have any clue of what that might be. Uh, I studied that for about three days and then had to leave that because I just hit a brick wall. And so in some of that study, I came to believe that while I believe the, chron- uh, the, the genealogy is accurate, uh, pursuant to the way that the, the Jews would have kept genealogy there, I don't really think that he named every single father, son, father, son, father, son. Uh, I think he, he jumped over a couple. Uh, it's just my thought, and, and you know somebody else may disagree completely. But certainly, to your point, the genealogy back from Mary would have a different, probably would have a different number of people than the genealogy back from Joseph, simply because you're going back, you know, five... 600 years, uh, and it's highly unlikely that you're going to have the exact same number of fathers and sons uh, in both of those lines. Did you have anything else on that, Brent? Good, uh, good study there. Done some good digging. Right along the same place as I was. I knew there were two or three um, that were left out. Uh, at least it appeared to me that they were left out. Um, so, anybody else have any comments or questions on that? I got one last point I want to make, but we got time for another comment or question if you have one. And I've, I've brought this up before, but it hit on the, the two big covenants and then the covenant with Christ uh, so centrally that I wanted to go back and get it again. And that's in Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. So God makes this promise to Abraham. And a short time later, Sarah has Isaac. And Abraham's faith is tested. God tells him to take Isaac up on a mountain, offer him as a sacrifice. The mountain that he took Isaac up on was Mount Moriah. Okay. 
So then we go along 800 years, give or take, and along comes David. And God's having a conversation with David and instructs him to go buy a wheat threshing location. And David goes and buys that. And jump forward about a thousand years after that, and Christ comes along and is, is our new covenant. Right? He's our sacrifice. And the place where he was sacrificed at is the location of that threshing floor, is the location where Abraham took Isaac on Mount Moriah. The three places are the same place. Well, how do I know that? Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon, David's son, began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So how do I know it? Well, Christ was crucified outside of the temple. Now, it wasn't the same temple that Solomon had built, the same location. Solomon's temple was destroyed, was rebuilt, but it's the same site. So it's, it's just beyond coincidence that the site of this covenant with Abraham, this covenant with David, and this grace covenant that's put into place with all of humanity when Christ is crucified and then three days later raises is all the same place on Mount Moriah. It's, it's a picture that's just, uh, it's really beautiful to me, so I hope you enjoyed that. I, I thought, as I was going through this, I thought, man, just ties together too good not to go get that. I know I didn't. If you really wanted to understand and get into all of the, you know, and Ozias begat Jonathan and Jotham begat Achaz, and uh, I'm sorry if I disappointed you today. Um, but I went where I had something, and that's where I had. So hope you enjoyed it. It's a great study. Go look at uh, Matthew. Go look at uh, Luke. Uh, look at the comparisons. The other thing I want to get at, uh, I've still got a minute, is Luke's audience, which is where I started with Matthew, Luke's audience were the Greeks. Okay? Luke, highly educated, Ran around with Paul, all right? I mean, they were buddies. He was a physician, but his audience were the Greeks. The other beautiful thing about Luke's genealogy is he does not stop at Abraham. A lot of the Greeks didn't know this history that God had with Israel, or if they did know a little bit about it, weren't schooled in it, and maybe didn't care. So what does Luke do? He takes us right on through Abraham, right on back to Adam, and says, 